America. My name is I'm Yosef Frimpong, and I come to you live every Friday to talk about politics and the quality of politics we need to be to make our republic whole. And last, I gave a, a special interview last week about uh, liberal anti-politics, as in so far as Democrats and liberals, actually more precisely, aren't interested in self-governance. They want the government out of their life insofar as they want to pursue private interests. They want to go back to brunch. Trump is a problem because he, he has bad manners, not because he actually gets in the way of me substantively designing the quality of meaningful institutions in my life, right? He doesn't use the right salad fork. Um, and for black people, we actually need justice insofar as we need positive participation in the governing structures of our life because right now we're not on, we don't, we don't live in America on our own um on our own terms we don't we don't control our own media so we need media policy that actually makes sure that black people can tell black people what it means to be black as opposed to white people telling black people what it means to be black and make no mistake when all of your public school teachers are white women that's not black people telling black people what it means to be black um we need uh substantive say in our policy so that we know that um you know i always talk about my mom being from south carolina my dad being from africa and then my mom left south carolina moved to california with the great migration and then my mom moved from and then i moved from california and i'm in athens georgia right now because california is very expensive negroes are getting priced out of california left and right because it's 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 almost irresponsible to try to live there right now and and athens georgia is cheaper right so and then i don't know what happens uh someone says what part of south carolina uh, outside of florence a little town called lake city it's just a bunch of poor black people although my family name is graham much like the uh the senator from south carolina and the thing about that is <laughs> Lindsey Graham kind of looks like my uncle, so I'm sure they all have the same granddaddy if you go back far enough. Uh, but yeah, I'm from, my mom's from South Carolina. Anyway, so priced out of South Carolina. I mean, uh, uh, moved out of South Carolina, pretty much chased out with the Great Migration like everybody else. And now I'm priced out of uh, California, because it's just too expensive for, for regular black people who like to be for regular black people who want to live. Especially if they just want to be black all the time. <laughs> um, and now I'm in, in Athens, Georgia, but I'm watching black people who are born, born and raised in Athens, Georgia, be priced out of Athens, Georgia, because it's a college town and students want to buy here and parents want to just buy their kids houses here so what does that mean it means that we're kind of provisional america we live where white people want us to live that's not self-governing we don't actually live where we want to live we don't we can't send roots we hold well what we hold our places warm until white enough white people decide that they want it back right we hold white land warm until white people decide they want it back and then they just kind of move us out you can call it gentrification you can call it whatever they did in atlanta to um uh 
uh, to move out all the black people for the one Atlanta Olympics, but also, you know, the, the stadiums that are being bought there. Anytime they want land, they just say, all right, black people, it's time for you to go. Thanks for holding it warm. Here's some pennies. Get. And then they build whatever they want to build there. So there's a way in which we're not self-determining because we actually, our rights don't mean anything. We can't press them in the same way. We're supposed to be able to self-govern and decide the policies that govern us as opposed to have other people uh, tell us what to do and how we do it. And then we just choose to either fight or die. That's not freedom. If you're just uh, choosing to fight or die, that's, you're not actually free. You want to decide the content of your life on your own terms and, uh, somewhat, right? So until we can do that, we're not free. We actually need substance on our politics. But as it stands, we don't get content on our politics. We get the formal participation. And what does that mean? The form of freedom is choice. The content of freedom is control over the options among which you choose. I'm going to say that again. The form of freedom is choice. The content of freedom is control over the production of the options among which you choose. So black people, we can be given all the choices in the world, but we are given crappy options because we don't have real power. Real power is in the production of the options among which we choose, which are always produced by someone who's not us, even if they put black faces on it. On it. Right. So we are like in this election, black people are going to go overwhelmingly Democrat. Um, because we decided that Biden was the president that white people would choose. <laughs> Not because we actually chose him. We chose him, but we chose him based on what white people liked. And this is the way, this is the same reason, this is the same reason Obama chose him, right? Obama, don't forget, Biden was chose by Obama because he was the one who would make white people comfortable. And why does this matter? Why does this matter? This matters because I think um, a lot of politicians are a little bit confused about their relationship with the people, right? And uh, so let's first look at the uh, a graph I have about the Democratic leadership. It's kind of small. I don't know if you're watching. If you're watching this on your phone, this might be hard. But if you have a real computer, you can kind of blow it up. It pretty much says that the leadership of House Democrats is 71 years old. And the leadership of House Republican is 53 years old. That's the, the, how old their leadership is. In other words, our Democratic officers die in office. They're not, they don't give power to nobody. And, you know, they stay there for a little, they stay there forever until, until they die. Republicans retire and, and, and do whatever else or move on or move up. Uh, but Democrats, like, they have a little fiefdom and their fiefdom allows them to die in office. We should be pushing these Democrats out. It shouldn't be something glorious that people like John Lewis die in office. The question should be, why didn't you retire earlier and have someone a little bit more aggressive take over your spot? Um, but Democrats are, it's an aristocratic governance. We don't have power in determining the leadership. And you know this because right now the biggest Democrat in the nation is Nancy Pelosi. And let me give you a little bit of Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi. Now, I'm going to set this, uh, this, uh, this clip. I do not like Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi was gifted her seat in 87 uh, by just pretty much being the richest Democrat in, <laughs> in, in the Bay Area. 
Um, her, she comes from her brother was the mayor. Her dad was the mayor. Her dad was a congressman out in Baltimore. This is all in Baltimore. Then she moves out to San Francisco, marries a guy who's politically connected. Her brother-in-law's on the uh, county commissioners. And the guy she marries is super wealthy. It's not obvious that Nancy Pelosi's ever actually had a job. I mean, she raised five kids, but she raised five kids in that rich white lady way, which means I suspect a lot of black and Latino nannies raised her five kids. And then they were sent to like really nice private schools for that whole duration. So Nancy Pelosi was a fundraiser for the gift uh, for the Democratic Party. And then in 87, enough people died that opened up a seat for her. And, and since she was the richest Democrat in town, she, she bought it. And then since that time has never actually sat for a debate with challenger she's never sat for a debate she's never even i've never even seen her take a hard interview until this week and this week she kind of took a hard interview because uh trump put forth a 1.8 trillion dollar uh stimulus package which would give people a 400 dollar plus up on their unemployment benefits and give a 1200 dollar check as opposed to a 2500 dollar check and uh, some other goodies. They weren't as good as the first CARES Act, but the first CARES Act was already a little bit dicey to begin with. And, but it was a deal. And people need money <laughs> because they're out of jobs. And it was a deal. It was a $1.8 trillion deal. And she threw it out outright because honestly, she doesn't want to give Trump a victory this close to the election. And this is her... This is how she uh, talked about it to Wolf, Wolf Blitzer. I'm going to just let the clip run. I'm asking you serious questions because so many people I'm are in desperate you need we, right now. Let me yeah. ask you this. Okay. When was the last time? Let me, you, let me respond well, to well, you. Let me ask you, you. When was the last time, Madam questions. Speaker, when was the last time you spoke with the president about this? I don't speak to the president. Speak why to not? his, why his not representative. Call why not call him and say, Mr. President, let's work out a deal. It's not going to be everything you want. Not going to be everything I want. But there are so many Americans right now who are in desperate need. Let's make a deal. What makes me amused, if it weren't so sad, is how you all think that you know more about the suffering of the American people than those of us who are elected by them to represent them at that table. It's not about me. It's about millions of Americans who can't put food on the table, who can't pay the rent, and who are having trouble, them. And who we are represent them. getting and by we represent these them. long food and lines we that we're seeing. Them. I know we you know are. Them. I'm, I'm just we saying. We represent them and we know them. As we, we say. We know them. We represent them. Don't let yes. the perfect be the enemy of the good, as they say it here in Washington. It is nowhere near perfect. Madam Speaker. Always the case, but we're not even close to the good. All right, let's see what happens because every day is critically, critically important. Thanks so much Thank for joining us. Thank you for your us. sensitivity to our constituents' needs. I am sensitive to them because I see them on the street begging for food begging for money. Madam Speaker, thank you, you so much. Have you fed them? We feed them. We feed them. We'll continue this conversation down the road for sure. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. I'm asking you serious questions because so many people are I'm in desperate you need we... right now. Let me... So make no mistake, and I can say this on YouTube, fuck Nancy Pelosi. San Francisco has a horrible homelessness problem. It's been shedding black people. San Francisco sheds black people. It's been shedding black people for decades. Pretty much, and, and uh, yeah, so uh, Nancy Pelosi has not sat for a debate with a challenger 
uh, in her entire 30-year career in that seat. And she can't be dethroned from that seat because it's a Democratic seat and the machine in San Francisco is corrupt, right? So real politics is going to be about the primary politics. What happens in November doesn't have anything to do with us black people. Whatever, Trump or Biden, it doesn't have anything to do with us. Our fight is in the primary, because right now we have garbage Democrats like Nancy Pelosi telling us that we don't need an extra $1,200. I will take the $1,200. We can negotiate for another bill after this, but give me the $1,200 now and the extra $400 a month in unemployment benefits. Um, thank you. <laughs> like, like, don't just say no because you don't want to give Trump a victory. They, th they treat congressional politics like it's Versailles like Sun Court Louis the 14th politics where it's all about them right they feed us i don't want your food you work for us i don't like that she's like this rich lady who who is proud of herself for going down to the uh, soup kitchen and doling out a thanksgiving meal that's what she thinks of all of us that's what she thinks of all of her constituents who don't really have a choice because they control the content of what's on the ballot. People don't really have a choice. And that's why these people get reelected because there isn't a robust policy that actually allows them to be accountable to the people, to the huge homelessness population in San Francisco. Nobody's, she's not accountable to them at all. They're elected representatives, but they've rigged the system in these safe democratic districts so that they're not accountable to people. They're not accountable to charge, uh, challengers. So what could we do? In order to change the content of party politics, I would like an automatic debate system. You would have an automatic debate system. Every challenger, if you make it, if you put your name on the ballot, you could trigger a process that would functionally subpoena Nancy Pelosi to show up to a debate. It could be an independent commission that's triggered just for this. But uh, right now, her competitor, a guy by the name of Shahid Buttar, has been trying to debate her for six months. He called her out for a debate, but nobody, like, she won't show up because she's never, that's her policy. Her policy is to not debate challengers. So if you can't debate, if you're not accountable to debate challengers to your position, that means you can, you can curate your interviews with the press to people who are friendly. And since the press is only really owned by six, six organizations, that's, uh, that's not real governance. That's not real democratic governance. What it is is that they run for fiefdoms. She has her fiefdom. It's impossible to dislodge her. That's why she's going to have to die before she, she, she gets out. She's already 77, 78 years old. Um, 78 years old doesn't feel like she has to take a debate from a challenger. That's not democratic governance. And she's not the only one. She's not the only one. If you don't have to debate, you're not in a democracy. It's not about voting. How can, we, how can people vote if they aren't presented with the differentia, the difference between the candidates through a public um, vetting process? So it just gives incumbents wins. So if we actually care about democracy, it's a form of voter suppression, voter suppression or voter disadvantage. Um, uh, that it's, it's in the content and not the form. It's in the content and not the form. The content is the candidates among which you choose, which in a rigged system, in both the uh, 
So the Democratic Party in Georgia, where I am, is is, is a bunch of losers, right? They they're gonna we try to pretend that um, Georgia is a competitive state, but no, it's not. It's not a competitive state. It's a red state. Republicans own the cultural, run the cultural infrastructure. Um, Stacey Abrams tried to sucker punch the Republican Party in 2018, but it, we're going to find out the truth in November that Georgia is a red state. The cultural infrastructure is done. Um, so the Democratic Party is a losing party, but it's a social club insofar as it's close-knit. They, uh, they run it like Lucien. Not Lucy and the football um, about telling Charlie Brown, well, this time we're close. No, it's not close. And so um, it's a social club for people with idle time and idle money because it's not about governing. It can't be about governing. So you get a handful of, of black people who actually aren't interested in governing. They're, uh, they're interested in... Uh, there has to be a name. I was trying to think of it because Kamala Harris fits this too. There, a name for people who are really aggressive and really progressive right up until they come. But the closer they get to power, to real power, uh, the more they become like hacks. It's not chicken hawk, but it's something akin to it. As, and, but those are Georgia Democrats. Those are pretty much the Democratic Party in general. They'll talk tough when they're out of power, but the closer they get to power, and it's not even they get bought by lobbyists. Obama was the same way. It's not even they get bought by lobbyists. It's just that they're not interested in governing. Right? They're interested in putting up a show of governing. And so how do you frustrate this process is the work that we need to be thinking of. How do you frustrate the primary process? By the time it gets to um, the general, it's already long. Like, Garbage Democrats have already won insofar as they have won. You beat them in the primary. And that's the politics we need. We need to understand, black people especially, the Republicans aren't your enemy. Hack Democrats are. And they're functionaries. Because it only takes a handful of hacks to control. We have, we have plantation politics. So it only takes a handful of hacks to control a plantation. So we need to get them at the root. Get them at the root. Uh, yeah, and so I, I hope this has been clear that real democratic politics for black people is primary politics. Um, you know, Trump wins, we lose. Biden wins, we lose. My fear with Biden is that he might punch left more effectively than, than Trump will. And Kamala Harris, she's a cop. I don't know what you think she's going to do. Like, she spent her whole career, she made her bones sleeping with Willie Brown and then putting black people in jail. Like, that's how... That's how she got to where she is. And, you know, white suburbanites love her for, her, love her for that. But everybody else, they, that, she has nothing to do with us. So don't, don't bring me Kamala Harris and tell me that's what justice is going to look like. But do remind yourself, um, first of all, if you're in Georgia, check out uh, Richard Dean Winfield and uh, Tamara Healy, Tamara Tamara Healy, both of those people. I like Winfield because every time you listen to that guy talk or read something uh, from him, you learn something about what governance means. And so if we're going to lose in Georgia, I want to support the guy who actually is making the quality of an electorate that, um, that will make us better at being an electorate. But Tamara Johnson, Tamara Johnson, 
Georgia. Let me, I just want to make sure I get her name right. Uh, Tamara Johnson Sheely. Yeah, check her out too. Outside of those two people, um, like it's just a waste. It's just a waste. I'm a Winfield guy. Tamara Johnson, uh, Tamara Johnson Sheely also seems cool. But uh, don't waste your vote on Warnock because he's a hack. He's brought there as a hack. And we don't need more hacks. And lifer hacks like Pelosi are a pox on us, especially as they've been watching, uh, you know, a city like San Francisco just shed black people. It's got nothing to do with us. It's got nothing to do with race justice. It's got nothing to do with labor justice. It's just her own little ego and her own little fiefdom and her own little, uh, uh, you know, elite parties. Also, this is why people, like, look, people want to talk to me about Amy Coney Barrett, about how awful she is and what the danger of the Supreme Court. Let me tell you a few things about the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court doesn't have budgetary power, and it doesn't control guns, which is why Brown versus Board of Education desegregated schools, but schools in, in Athens, Georgia, didn't desegregate until the 70s. And depending on who you talk to, they're still not desegregated because all these other segregation academies opened up because the Supreme Court doesn't control guns and it doesn't control money. So they're actually pretty good about not, they don't go too much farther than um, public opinion lets them to go. So if you have a problem with the Supreme Court decision, it's because public opinion has has their back. So if if you really want to... Um, you know, govern yourself, you need to get the legislators you need into Congress or your state legislatures. Don't depend on the Supreme Court to secure your justice. And it's a little dicey to pretend that self-government comes down to people who are elected for life. That's not self-appointed, not even elected. People who are appointed for life, that's not self-government. That means you're not serious about self-government. You just like an oligarchy of other people doing your government for you. If you want policies pushed in these United States, it happens through the legislature and sometimes through the executive. If you're looking for the Supreme Court to save you, that means you really don't have a justice issue. And that means all these white feminists don't really have justice issues. Because if they really had a justice issue, they, they, it wouldn't be up to the Supreme Court. They'd be fine for it at, legisl- at the legislative levels. And so instead of doing your governance or pretending to do your governance, because it's pretending to do your governance if you're doing it through the court, um, you need to actually do your government and your legislative, uh, your governance and you earn your self-governance through working the elected through our cultural institutions. So instead of depending on nine judges to secure your rights, you need to work on uh, the cultural institutions that form the electorate, the media, the churches, the schools. We need to be writing curriculum. We need to be getting on school boards. We need to be taking over teacher training programs because right now all these teachers are garbage hacks. Like they're garbage hacks who teach black people that they don't have political problems. They have individual problems and they can hustle their way out of the ghetto. Not the fact that leaving the ghetto is the problem to begin with. You shouldn't have to leave the ghetto to get free. Every teacher should tell you that. You should not have to leave the ghetto to get free. If you have to leave the ghetto to get free, like you aren't actually purchasing freedom. There's actually a fascinating uh, a report I heard about, but there's a kind of heart disease that only affects, that, that has worse symptoms in upper middle class black men. Um, and if you have the same heart disease, you actually fare better if you're poor. And it's one of these weird diseases like this. And this is because upper middle class black men live around white people. So it's stressful. 
Um, so if you have to leave the ghetto to be free, you're, you don't get free outside of the ghetto. You're just surrounded by sharks and tigers. Um, and so we need to understand that free means everyone in the hood has a good, uh, you know, $70,000, $80,000 job if they want one. Right? That's what free means. Free means having money in your pocket, reaching out, uh, going uh, outside and not getting hit up for money. I was talking about this a little bit in my class today. I teach logic and critical thinking and we're doing uh, a, a unit on description so I can actually tell people, you know, the facts about things. And uh, I showed them this. I showed them this picture uh, I, and I told this is a little bit different because this is in Jamaica, but it's kind of, it's kind of the same insofar as this is a guy who won the lottery in Jamaica and he, he came to claim his check in full, um, costume cause he couldn't, he didn't want anybody to know who he was. Right. And the question is, if you have to claim your riches in full costume, because nobody can know you have them in order for you to be free, are you really free? Are you really free to be who you are? Because really free people can win the lottery, sign their check, pose in the, in the, uh, in the paper, and still make it home and not have to change their number, right? Not have to change their, uh, their, their cell phone number, not have to move. Wouldn't even want to move. Right? That's what real freedom looks like. Black people, we don't have that. So the constitutive elements of self-government for black America are going to come through primary fights not it's going to come through the content of party politics not the form so not choice among garbage um given options it's going to come be, we can put our own people on the ballot put people on the ballot on the final ballot who actually represent us it's when we actually get to teach our own history in our public schools because justice is going to come when i get to decide what white kids learn I'll say this again. Make no mistake, justice will come when I get to decide what white kids learn. Like, and not just a few who are in my class, all of them. That's how black people will be free. And uh, so we need to control public education because right now, if you don't know, in a liberal democracy, you keep authoritarian power and hierarchies through what you leave out of history. Not so much what you tell people, but what you leave out. And the things we leave out two white people about themselves is enough uh, that we could actually, I think, move the needle on some issues if we were serious about taking the fight here. So justice isn't going to come from the Supreme Court. It's going to come from a takeover of white cultural institutions. We're going to take them over. Because uh, So people say, like, what about the black ones? I say, it's good to take over the black ones. But as long as the money comes from white people and the police come from white people and the power comes from white people, you can take over a black cultural institution all you want. But at the end, they know that payday is white. So what you need to do is... If insofar as you take over black cultural institutions, it's to train them to fight white people because that's the fight. We need to take over white cultural institutions and we can because we have the truth on our side. We're going to take them over with the truth. So taking them over with the truth, it's not oppressive. If I control 
all of white America's public education, they'll just get more truth than they're used to hearing. Um, but it's not going to be propaganda. And I'll just, we're going to learn the truth about reconstruction. We're not just going to learn about Tulsa. Tulsa's fine. We're going to learn about Wilmington. And then, you know, not just Rosewood, but Memphis also. All these places where black people just get a little bit of power and then white people just go wild and start terrorizing them and just start shooting them in the street just because they get nervous. So we're going to actually learn the truth about, we're going to learn the truth about gender. We're going to talk the truth about, <laughs> we're going to talk the truth about white women. See, you know, feminists are a fan, fantastic, fascinating breed because they get to be like, especially the white women, they get to be oppressed yet live longer than their oppressors and have a smaller risk profile than their oppressors. That's, it's a really, it's a fascinating breed of oppression. They suffer where they both live longer than their oppressors and take fewer risks than their oppressors. And when I say take fewer risks, I, I, I uh, take a look at this graph right here. This is incarceration rates. And it seems like, you know, to be a white woman in jail, you have to pretty much do cocaine off a police officer's badge while reaching for their gun. Like, we don't arrest white women. And I worked enough retail jobs to, that I know that they steal. They steal just because they can. But, like, we've insulated them from all risk for reasons I don't know. I mean... It's one possible that the large black incarceration, male incarceration rate is completely independent from the small white female incarceration rate, but I don't think that's the case. I'm not sure that's the case. I think these are actually, we need a perpetual victim in order to make a perpetual criminal. And I think that's closer to the life we're living right now. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll, if I take over public education, why people will learn a lot of things about themselves that might actually leave us to justice. So we need to start talking about cultural, uh, cultural takeover of institutions. We need not crappy liberal churches. We need real revolutionary theology churches. We need to talk about self-governance as actually creating the content of the governing institutions that then you interact with through which you live your life and realize yourself, not just having to cede all of those to white people because this is a white man's country and white people ain't going to do nothing for us, no way. So we're just going to give them government and stay on their terms. That's how we live currently where black people move out of the South when we're terrorized out of the South with the Great Migration, then we move back from California or the East when we're gentrified out of the East. And then now we're, we used to be in the cities, but now we're gentrified out of the cities. And when they're entering suburbs where there are no resources, um, there are no resources of public infrastructure. So we're just dying on the vine out there. Uh, we go pretty much where white people tell us we can go and we hold it warm for them until they want it back. That's not freedom. So we need actual, we need to start taking, and that's not going to be, and we're not going to win freedom by like some decree of a judge. That's not how freedom's going to work. It's going to work in the street. Not necessarily even in the street. Not going to work necessarily in the ballot box. It's going to be, it's going to work through the media, through the schools, through the church, through the cultural institutions that we're just going to have to take over. We need museums of white terrorism in every Southern town that there is a Confederate memorial. Because trust me, every southern town, there's a Confederate memorial. There's an old black person who has some stories about the white people they grew up with that are just, um, you know, stories of terrorism. So we need just museums of terrorism everywhere there is a, a, a 
we currently have a Confederate memorial. Because that's the order of the day. Thank you for your time. By the way, if you like anything I'm doing, you need to go ahead and um, go to www.funkyacademic.com and give me a little bit of money. Because, you know, I have bills every month. And depending on who you talk to, talking like this is going to make me down white unemployable. So I need you to go to thefunkyacademic.com or funkyacademic.com and kick in $5, $15, or $50 a month. I like the monthlies because that way I can budget, make sure my kid gets her music lessons on time, about to pick her up from daycare. Daycare gets paid every month. Um, And uh, remember, real self-determination isn't going to come, real political self-determination isn't going to come from the ballot box. It's going to come from the content of the candidates from which we choose. Because the content of freedom is the options among which you choose, not just the choice among given options. Thank you for your time. I'll see you next week at the latest. By the way, uh, my segment, I taped another segment on Rising. It should hit this weekend. Keep an eye out for it. It should be pretty good. It should be pretty good. Now, I did do a segment on Rising on John Lewis after he kicked the bucket. And it was a little bit too hot for them to air. So who knows if they're going to air this one? I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know. But this is one thing. If I owned Rising, and if I had Risings with uh, Crystal Ball and Saga and Jetty. By the way, I have nothing. I've, okay, so I have, I'm, I'm a little ticked that she didn't air the segment. But uh, for the most part, Crystal's one of the good ones. She puts me on when she really doesn't have to. And I know she gets a lot of flack from uh, you know, some of her white feminist friends who think I'm just, I have to be some sort of misogynist. And it's not that I, I, but like, I just, I want, I want all, I want equality among risk and labor. And I think feminists talk about equality among labor very well, but they're really bad about equal risk. And, and you know that because like I said, they live longer and have a lower risk profile than their oppressors. So so I say stuff like that. People say like, oh, yeah, he's a misogynist. No, I just, I just, I'm looking for a deeper equality. And I want freedom for black people. That includes black men. Um, and I, I don't have any illusion that white women will lead the revolution. But Crystal has me on, on occasion. And for that, I'm thankful. I'm just going to forget the John Lewis segment. I thought it was fire, but uh, I guess it was a little bit too hot. And hope that they do air the segment I taped with them earlier this week, this weekend. So look for that on Rising, and I will see you officially on my channel next week. If you appreciate the work I do every week, and you think that I should continue to do it because I'm giving you the quality of political knowledge and insight that will help you not squander your life and kind of rescue meaning from it, then go ahead and go to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in five, fifteen, or fifty dollars a month, or make one enormous donations. I like the monthlies because it allows me to budget more, and that'll help me, you know, with a marketing budget or getting better equipment that works all the time. Because a lot of, in a lot of ways, freedom means having equipment that works every time you turn it on. <laughs> and I want to be a free Negro. So, um, if you like what I do, go to funkyacademic.com and contribute thanks often comes in the form of cash and the site takes credit cards 
If you appreciate the work I do every week and you think that I should continue to do it because I'm giving you the quality of political knowledge and insight that will help you not squander your life and kind of rescue meaning from it, then go ahead 